0: Hey Hills Church, it is great to be with you. For those of you I haven't got a chance to meet, my name is Taylor, I'm one of the pastors here, and I hope you had a great 4th of July holiday. If uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and earmark Ezekiel 37. It's in the Old Testament, 37th chapter of Ezekiel. And uh, while you do that, I want to welcome everybody who's joining us live at one of our campuses at South Lake, West Fort Worth, or North Richland Hills. Thanks so much for spending some time with us today, or maybe if you're joining us online or later on podcast. uh, We've been in this series, uh, this is the second week, of self-portraits. And I want to begin by just saying thank you. As we started this series last week and talking about the fact that God gave visible pictures of His invisible Spirit, there were so many of you who in person and through uh, text and email uh, just sent me notes of encouragement and saying, man, I'm so glad we're doing this series. And your words really confirmed for me uh, that this is a series we need to be doing, learning and leaning more into the Spirit of God. So thank you so much for your encouragement. I will admit that there was one anonymous encourager who did something that was a little bit um, unexpected to say the least. So on, on uh, Sunday I preached on the spirit through the image of the dove descending on Jesus. And then on Monday I was in my office, I went to a meeting and then I came back and this was sitting on my desk. Uh, so, um, th- thanks I guess. Uh, I, I still don't know who did this. Uh, no one that I've talked to has, uh, has fessed up to it. So whether you're a member or somebody on staff or whatever, I, 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 a random trinket bird giver, thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm flattered, but I'm also a little bit afraid uh, because here in a couple of weeks I'm going to be preaching on fire. So I just hope this won't continue through the whole series. Anyway, um... Here's where we're going to begin. I promise we're going to get to Ezekiel 37. But first, for this week's symbol or sign of the Holy Spirit, we are going to begin at the moment that God first made a human being. Listen to the Hebrew Scriptures in Genesis 2. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, if you are brand new with us, I'm so glad that you're here. And I don't blame you if that sounded a little bit um, awkward, if you haven't heard that verse before. Like, we've all heard of the kiss of life, but most of us do not picture the kiss as being on the nose. But for the original hearers of this verse... The word they would have heard, and for, for English it's, it's breath, but for them it was ruach. Now that, I'm not clearing my throat at the end. That's like the proper Hebrew pronunciation, but I'm just going to say ruach. So this word, ruach, could be translated breath, and yet throughout the Old Testament it is also the same Hebrew word used to translate wind, and also the same Hebrew word used for Spirit. So this week we're going to talk about the Spirit as breath, something that you, you can't necessarily see, right? Like Yesterday, uh, where, at least at our house, we, we had the rainstorm kind of blow through about half the day. And, uh, and as the storm was kicking up, I started thinking about stories my dad has told me about my grandfather, whom I've never met. And and he passed away before I was born. And yet, I've heard stories about how when on stormy days, my grandfather would would ask my dad and my uncle, he'd say, hey boys, you see that wind out there? And they'd look outside and they'd say, yeah, boy, dad, the wind's really going. We see the wind. And uh, and my, my grandfather would say, no, you don't. You can't see the wind. Those are trees. You can only see what the wind's doing to them. Now, so it is. With this week's symbol. We call it a visual picture and yet admittedly with something like breath or even wind, the Spirit's impact is evident even though it is invisible. It is unseen and yet undeniable. Just like our breath, just like the wind. So what is the Spirit's impact on us if we understand this this visual or this idea of breath? Well, we're going to begin very simply with this. The Spirit brings life. That the same Ruach who hovered over the waters before creation and all of the universe came into being was the same Ruach of life put into the first man. That the God who made the universe intimately animates you and me. And we are supposed to make this connection to this moment where where adam receives the breath the ruach of life even the earliest christians understood this in part because in in the greek the word pneuma can also mean wind and also mean spirit so there's a there's a tie-in whether in the old testament hebrew or the new testament greek and and so one one church leader one missionary he was a messianic jew a jew who believes jesus is lord his name was Paul. He was writing to a church, and he drew this connection of this same word used for the spirit that's used for breath, and the moment that the first man received the breath of life. So he's writing to a church, and he says in 1 Corinthians 15:45, So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. Okay, what, what's Paul saying? Well, Paul is using this parallelism between the first Adam receiving the breath of life to become a living being and the last Adam. Who's that? That's Jesus. Jesus is the last, the, the last first. The first of the new creation that is the kingdom of God. And he becomes and gives, Paul says, a life-giving spirit. Here's, here's what we should understand. Adam needed breath to live. Spiritually, we need the Holy Spirit to be alive. The Spirit's presence and work is as essential for us in our faith as the air that we breathe for our physical bodies. Okay, here, just, just indulge me for a second. So, at all three of our campuses, even if you're online or later on podcast, I don't care if you're driving down the street listening to me right now, just everybody, I want you to, to take in a breath and hold it on three. One, two, three. Okay, in a week, we're going to look at the Spirit through the symbol of water. And while water can, can satisfy, can, can, can sustain us, you can go without water for, for a number of days. Jesus called himself the bread of life. And while that's a great visual of how he, he fills us, how he nourishes us, you can go without bread or food for a number of weeks. But you cannot go without breath For more than a couple of minutes, even though there's, at one of our campuses, some middle schooler determined to prove that wrong. Everybody, you just breathe out. You breathe out. Your connection to God, your spiritual life, the energy of your faith, listen to this, follower of Jesus, all of that is 100% dependent upon the Holy Spirit breathing life in you. Like, this is, I believe, the understanding that the earliest followers of Jesus had. Even one gospel writer, writing in the Gospel of John, this, the, the gospel writer paints this picture not only of Jesus' life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection, but after Jesus' resurrection, that there was this moment where Jesus meets with his closest followers. And with them, here's part of what he says after he is risen from the dead, given proof that he is Lord of all. Here's what Jesus says to some of his his disciples. In the Gospel of John, chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he, everybody say that word, breathed on them. And what does he say next? receive the holy spirit now there are a number of scholars and and new testament experts who say the reason john wrote this this way inspired by the holy spirit is to point back to the moment when adam receives the breath of life that Jesus is about to, he's, he's pointing to the moment when they will receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We're going to look at that day later in this series. But, but for today, what you need to understand is just that's the moment when they received the Holy Spirit. And that John wrote and says Jesus breathed on them as a way to tease that this is what's going to happen. They are going to come spiritually alive like never before because they will, they will be filled with the breath of God, the Spirit of God. And this spirit, like breath, would fill their lungs so that they could speak about and witness to the mission of God, but the Son of God, so that people would come to faith in Jesus. That this is what John's doing. That for you and I, the spirit as breath is giving us life. So maybe our first, just a first simple takeaway for us is that the same way that every now and then we become conscious of our breathing, And realize how dependent we are on that next breath. I'm praying that for our church, we become conscious of the Spirit's work in us. The Spirit's animating power. The Spirit who breathes life into us. And maybe the first thing we could do, and maybe for some of you, this would be the first time you've ever said this. That we can just say as a church, thank you Holy Spirit. Can, Can we just say that out loud at all of our campuses? Just say that with me thank you, Holy Spirit. God, thank you for the way that you animate us, for the way that you give us energy, for the way that you breathe life into us, not only physically, but spiritually, so that we can have life with you. And as we become more conscious of this, what we need to understand is not only that the Spirit brings life, but the kind of situations in which the Holy Spirit can do this. And that brings us to Ezekiel 37, because this is a passage that when, when uh, as I was studying that moment in John 20 where Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit, a number of commentators said this isn't just about the moment when Adam received the breath of life in Genesis 2. This is also about the moment in Ezekiel 37. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open that if you've earmarked it. Uh, and I want to just set this up for you just briefly, especially if you're new with us. So, Ezekiel was an Old Testament prophet. He is given a vision from the Spirit of God. And that's what we're going to look at. But here's what I need you to understand. This passage is as important as it is bizarre. Like, what we're going to look at may freak you out a little bit. Uh, I know, like, like this, just at the beginning of this month, Stranger Things just came out with a third season. We're about to see some Stranger Things in Scripture, Okay. So I'm I'm an English major, I cannot resist a rhyming couplet to make a point, so do this. Just turn to the person next to you and say, it's going to get weird before the point becomes clear. Just do that. Just turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to get weird before the point becomes clear. So, having given you that warning, here we go, Ezekiel 37. This is written by Ezekiel from his perspective. Let's jump in. Ezekiel writes and says, The hand of the Lord was on me. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Ezekiel the prophet is receiving a vision. So this isn't necessarily physically happening to him, but he's caught up in a vision from the Spirit of the Lord. And in this vision, he's placed in this valley that is just this boneyard. He's walking among these bones. And, and he notes for us that these bones, they, they're, they're not decomposing anymore. To, to borrow some Princess Bride language, these bones aren't mostly dead. They are completely dead. They are dried out, chalky from sitting in the sun. And so, after walking among these dry bones, then God asks Ezekiel a question in verse 3. Son of man, can these bones live? On the face of it, this is a ridiculous question. Like, here's what you need to know about Ezekiel. Like, like for, for Jews, there, there, was, there, there was a, a portion of, of Jews who believed in the, the, the power of resurrection, that God could resurrect someone from the dead. So that wasn't beyond uh, Ezekiel's scope of faith. But here's what we need to understand. In order for God to resurrect somebody, there's got to be a body. And there's just bones. And these are dried out bones. The decomposition process has long since Passed. And so when God asks this question, like, what in the world is Ezekiel supposed to say? Only that he knows who's asking the question. So look at what Ezekiel says. In response, Ezekiel writes, I said, uh, sovereign Lord, uh, only you know. You alone know. Like, what a fantastic cop-out. Like, that's, a, that's amazing. That's a brilliant move right there. Like, if this conversation is a chess match, he just, like, he just moved in this great spot. He's like, there we go. I'm, I'm safe. I got out of checkmate. Like, this, this was this great moment, and yet, like, this is a total cop-out. But what we can learn from Ezekiel's response, just for a moment, is that we should never be in the business of telling God what is or isn't possible. That when it comes to the Holy Spirit's work, it is above my pay grade to say what the Spirit of God can or cannot do in my life or someone else's life or in this world. Like, have you ever been at that place where where what's going on around you seems so bleak? Things seem too far gone? Like, things things in your life, things in a relationship, things with, with your future or your worries or whatever's going on in your life gets you to a place where you begin to pray only by the measure of your expectations and perspective. And yet, like like Ezekiel, we need to humbly look at whatever part of our life feels like dry bones and say, God, you alone know what's possible here. Only you can say what will be. So the Spirit of God, God speaks again to Ezekiel and says to him, in verse 4, prophesy, prophesy. ...to these bones and say to them... ...dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make... Everybody say that word at all campuses. Breath enter you. And you'll come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you... ...and cover you with skin. I will put, say that word, breath in you... ...and you will come to life... Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, God gives Ezekiel a bizarre assignment. As a prophet, Ezekiel, uh, like like many of the prophets of the Old Testament, would be used to, to preaching or speaking to a disinterested crowd or to a disobedient congregation. But Ezekiel would not know what it's like to speak to a dead valley of dry bones. Which, just side note, praise God, I never feel like that at the hills, just so you know. Like, there's, there's times where we got the temperature swing from, like, outside when it's in the hundreds, and then everybody walks in, there's that, like, 30, 40 degree swing. Everybody's kind of nap timey while I'm preaching. I'm not saying that's happening right now. But, um, thankfully, I don't know what that's like, but Ezekiel has to do what is, from a human perspective, completely futile. Speak to the bones. Tell them what God wants to do. These bones don't even have ears anymore. Like they don't have any, there's no hearts that are pumping that can receive this message. Speak to the bones? For you and I spiritually, like what we have to understand is there are times where the Spirit of God will put us in a place where what we are trying to do around people feels futile from a human perspective. That person in my life has hurt me that many times. They've turned their back. They've done this. And I'm just supposed to pray for them and think that's going to do something? And so I pray and I think, maybe something will happen, but I feel like I'm talking to dry bones. Maybe some of you, you go into your workplaces and the people around you are like, man, if I ask them, like, how can I pray for them? Or, like, I'm supposed to invite that person to church? Like, I heard what they just said they did over the weekend. That's, I'm not, like, inviting them to church is speaking to dry bones. There's a number of us that there are places in our lives where being obedient may feel as futile as Ezekiel's task. But look what Ezekiel does so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no, say that word, breath in them. Ezekiel describes this bizarre scene where these skeletons in the valley all of a sudden begin to rattle and come back together and we see from the prophet's vision the reverse of decomposition as things come back together and now it's a valley full of these bodies but pause for a moment i just want to ask you a dumb question these bodies have been put back together but are these bodies alive He writes, there's no breath in them. So are these still corpses? Here's the deal. In this moment, Ezekiel looks, and though the valley of dry bones, like the physical appearance has improved, but the state of being has not. You hear that? The physical appearance has improved. It's like, it's like when Jesus, talking to a bunch of religious leaders, he, he, he references the idea of like whitewashed tombs. So to paraphrase Jesus, you can whitewash the walls of a tomb, but that doesn't make it a living room. You can have the appearance of success, but deep down still be marked by failure. You can dress the part, but still be falling apart. You can come to church and check the box and still live as spiritually dead. Here's a great danger in American Christianity and in in Western Christianity, is that this can become, if we are not careful, just a way to pass down certain morals and ethics so that people with lives that feel like bones scattered around can get their body back together. That I can clean up my life and my life feels like it's falling apart and I just need to put it back together. My kids seem like they're falling apart so I'm going to bring them to church so they can get in line and get put back together. And while there is a, a, a nobility in going, I want, I want things to be better, I get that. But the challenge is, if I come in and all I want is to put my life back together but not have my spiritual body filled with the breath of God, the spirit of God, I am in danger of misunderstanding what it is to follow Jesus and all of a sudden to base it on my behavior and to think God gave me a body, but that is not spiritual life. Mere obedience is not spiritual life. Getting a set of morals or ethics out of church is not spiritual life. Spiritual life comes from the Spirit of God in us. And so God is not done telling Ezekiel what he must do. So God says to Ezekiel in verse 9, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Ezekiel has just witnessed perhaps the most unique of prophetic visions of resurrection that he's seen the decomposition process in reversed and now the breath of God the Ruach, that same word used over and over and over again for breath and also for the wind that comes and fills them and now they stand before him so what does all of this mean? And for that, I'm grateful that God did not stop talking to Ezekiel at this moment. But the Spirit of the Lord continues to speak and interpret, even for the prophet, what this means. In verse 11, the Spirit of God said to Ezekiel, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We're cut off. During this time in the history of God's people, the nation of Israel, they are, physically speaking, no longer a nation. They have, through disobedience, sin, idolatry, and a lack of faith and trust in God, turned their back on God so many times, gone their own way, and lived into the consequences of their choices. And through that, there was a civil war in the nation of Israel, a divided kingdom, and those two kingdoms were both overrun by more powerful kingdoms, the Babylonians and the Assyrians. People were killed, slain, many taken into exile to their requisite conqueror's kingdoms. The temple is in ruins. I mean, like, this is just the most bleak time. And God says, this, I've given you a vision of what has happened to my people in their sin. That choosing sin, choosing the path of destruction and death, leads to exactly that. Not only that, but that the people are in a place where they were in a valley. Did you hear this? It wasn't a valley of graves. It's a valley of dry bones. He walks among the bones. What this means is that none of these people have received a proper burial. Which in Jewish culture, that, that's akin to being a sign that you are a cursed person. See, we don't think about sin that way. Like in today's world, and especially like in, in modern church, often we talk about sin like it's a mistake. We talk about sin like it's a bad choice. Here, for Ezekiel, for their culture, sin is a curse that only brings death and destruction into your life. That is its ultimate end End point. So as God depicts this for Ezekiel, thankfully, he continues to speak. And look at what he says. Therefore, God tells Ezekiel, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. See, God had promised his covenant faithfulness to the people of Israel. If you haven't heard that word covenant before, this this, this idea of like, think of the, 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 all of the emotional weight of a marriage ceremony and all of the legal ramifications of a contract merged into one. That this was the the way that God promised his faithfulness to his people. And God says, despite my people's disobedience, despite their lack of faith, despite their idolatry and turning to other gods, despite all of those things, and even the fact that they have experienced death and are in a situation of being cursed, I will not give up on them. And my spirit will work to bring them back to life. Now I say that because look, what is it exactly that's going to do this? What is going to bring the Israelites back from the dead? What is going to resurrect them as a nation and as a people group? Verse 14, look at this. I will put my, everybody say that word, spirit in you and you will live. Pause for a moment. Throughout all the rest of this text, over and over and over and over again, the word ruach is breath 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 and then you're once they once the the bodies breathe then they're alive and now god says i'm going to put my spirit in my people and you will live and i will settle you in your own land and then you will know that i the lord have spoken and i have done it declares the lord This is the vision that Ezekiel gets in the valley of dry bones, seeing what happens through the Spirit of God, the breath of God. So what does this tell us? It tells us that not only does the Spirit bring life at the moment of creation, not only does the Spirit give us new life, but the Spirit brings life out of death. That even in the midst of what appears hopeless, even in the midst of what appears too far gone, even in the midst of death and graves and dry bones, the Spirit can bring life again. See, God doesn't just bring life where there was none. He brings life where it was lost. He brings life where it was squandered. He brings life where life was taken and misused and abused. So for you and I, as we listen to this, what are the dry bones in your life? Where are the places that when you, when you walk into that setting, when you are around those particular people or that individual, when you think about that thing that happened in the past or that pattern of sin that no one knows about, whatever it is, what are the dry bones for you? And could you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you, asking you this today. Can those bones live? Can life come there again? By the same Spirit that gave life in the first place, can resurrection take place there? Maybe for some of you, it's your workplace. Maybe for some of you, it's, you know, this 4th this of July holiday, a lot of people go around family and I've had people tell me here in church, man, I love my family, but I'm the only Christian in my family. And when I'm around them, you know, they just, they think of it as my hobby. When I talk about what I believe, it's, it's like I'm talking about f- myths and fairy tales. And that for some of you, going around your family feels like being among the dry bones. I don't know where it is in your life that you may look whether inside yourself or at the people around you, and feel like, God, I don't know, only you know. But what I want to tell you today is that the Spirit continues to do this. This was not a one-time vision. This is a continual occurrence by the Spirit of God to bring the spiritually dead to life. To reach into hopeless situations and bring hope and bring fresh beginnings. I thought about that this week when I was thinking about uh, testimony from uh, some members in our church, Brad and Amy Parrish. So um, Amy's sister, Casey, would be one who was a prodigal in their life, who'd really just run away from the Lord and was caught up in uh, addiction and, and distanced from the family in so many ways. And one day in church there there was an invitation to to write a name and and, and put a name up that could be prayed for, that was a prodigal in your life. And Amy Amy wanted to go down front with Brad and and put that name up. And and Brad, you know, he 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 told me like even in that moment, he felt like Ezekiel. Basically, like that's 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 as good as speaking to bones. It seems too far gone. Amy went down and, and put up Casey's name. And in the weeks following, all of a sudden, Casey reconnected with them as a family, reached out. She was living out of state and yet things had gotten so bad that all of a sudden she said, hey, can I come live with you? And all of a sudden Casey's in their home, reconnected for the first time in a long time. Then as they began to talk, they, they were talking about uh, going, uh, going, coming up to the church building for something and, and Casey said, oh, can I, can I come? She invited herself to church with them came to our building, saw something on a monitor that Brad and Amy had never seen before, and it was a, a, a posting about a particular uh, ministry that we had. And it was just an acronym, CASA, and they didn't even know what it was. And then they found out it was a recovery ministry. And when Casey found that out, she asked her sister Amy, hey, would you come with me to the recovery ministry? <laughs> so all of a sudden, she's in that environment, and the next weekend, they come to church, and we have a message uh, that weekend that was about God and a woman named Hagar, who felt lost and alone, but she found out that God saw her. So at the end of, of service, we, we offered a time for prayer for anybody who felt like they hadn't been seen by God, that they, they'd felt forgotten, but that God saw them. And in that moment, in the invitation song, Casey asked Amy, can we, can we go down front? Can I'd love somebody to pray over me. And all of a sudden, from a place that seemed desperate and lost and too far gone, all of a sudden, God was breathing fresh life and faith And casey has been getting closer and closer to Jesus in the journey since. And I remember Brad telling me with tears in his eyes, like, I, I can't, I, I just, seeing this happen, I never thought it was possible. Because the Spirit brings life even out of places that seem dead and gone. I thought about that with a family friend named Joe Beam. Joe's a, a, a well-regarded speaker, but at one point in his life, it looked like everything was over. He was a preacher in a church, and all of a sudden it was discovered that he was in an affair with a young woman. But Joe, Joe had, a, had a marriage, and kids, and, and like, all of a sudden, he rather than repenting, rather than saying, I was wrong and I'm sorry, he just walked away from everything, from his ministry, from his family, from his marriage. But through that season, the new relationship through the affair did not work out, and all of a sudden, he just did a tailspin caught up in alcoholism, going to bars and just trying to meet anybody to not feel alone, and he hit rock bottom. His life was dry bones. He started reaching out to some followers of Jesus that he knew and just saying, I need help. Started working through recovery. And in in his journey with sobriety, he knew he had to work through reconciliation with his family some way, but that seemed way gone. And yet slowly with his kids, and then with his wife. Joe began to date his wife, the woman he'd walked out on, began to go through a courtship with her again, and amazingly, only by God's Spirit, they reconciled and have for decades had a healthy marriage once again. Joe Beam's new ministry is to travel around the country and teach and preach about God's ability to resurrect and breathe fresh life and love into marriages that seem like dry bones. They do emergency retreats where they meet with these couples who have gone through what Joe and his wife went through. And with counselors and others, they have so many couples coming in thinking this is hopeless. And all of a sudden they leave reconciled with a path forward for healing. Like, this is what God can do and is doing. The question is, how will we respond when God asks us, when God asks you, can these dry bones live? And if you and I are followers of Jesus, then how else can we respond? Because it was Jesus himself, fully God and fully man, who was born with lungs like us. Who knew what it was to become winded, to heave a sigh of sorrow. Who even knew what it was like to feel like you couldn't breathe. You know, when Jesus died on a cross for our sins, when he paid for what led us to the place of dry bones, the really cruel, awful thing about crucifixion is that it is designed to last as long as possible. To torture you. And that while you are hanging from nails in your wrists and your ankles, you can only breathe if you push up on what's pinned you to the wood. And that otherwise you begin to have your lungs collapse in on you. Every breath was agony for the hours that Jesus was on the cross. And in the moment that God died for you and for me, who were nothing but dry bones... I couldn't help but notice that in the Gospel of Luke, Luke says that Jesus gives up his spirit. But in the Gospel of Mark, that with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. That the everlasting God breathed his last so that there would be a possibility of life after death, spiritually and physically. Because there in a tomb, the Spirit of God gave Jesus another first breath. And he rose from the grave. And it is because of his resurrection that Christians can say what Paul wrote in Romans 8. If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. The righteousness of Christ given to you and to me. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Man, could we, like Ezekiel, say, God, only you know what's possible. God, I I am now officially retiring from setting the boundaries of what your spirit is capable of. God, I am officially done saying where you can breathe new life. And in humility, I want to become aware the way I can become aware of my breathing. I want to become aware of your spirit that is leading me even into places that feel futile. Even in the moments that feel from a human perspective, there's no way this could do anything. And yet the prophet spoke and the bones came together. The prophet spoke and the breath filled their bodies. Could you and I, as the people filled with the Spirit of God, begin to look at our situations, look at the dry bones in our life and say, God, only you can do this. But as you've commanded us, we will pray. As you've commanded us, we will speak. As you've commanded us, we will, led by your Spirit, animated by your Spirit, serve and go. Because only through the breath of God we not only breathe our next breath and praise our Savior, but only through the breath of God, His Spirit animated, can we continue to lean on and trust Jesus Christ, who breathed again in the tomb, our resurrected Lord. Let's pray together. God, do you lead us to trust you more, to believe that not only do you bring life, but you can bring life out of death, that your Spirit is one who resurrects one who fills us again and the way that a fresh breath lets me take another step your spirit guides us to take each next step of faith lead us to trust you more and to trust jesus we pray this in his powerful name amen